Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday night teaching time. And uh, by the way, what a great Sunday morning we have with World Impact Sunday. And if you couldn't make it or were away and, and couldn't be involved and you still want to do something financially, there's lots of room in those projects. You've heard about them. You can see them online. And it's still not too late to help with that challenge. Every cent that's given, every penny that's given today goes to World Missions. We don't keep a cent here at the church. And so it's a great opportunity for you to still get involved in that. We're in a teaching series on the parables, Lessons from Heaven for Life on Earth. And this, I find, uh, one of the most interesting and certainly one of the most challenging in terms of teaching. This parable, this is part two in this parable tonight, is one of the most difficult and yet fascinating parables. Jesus says things we don't expect and he stretches our, our traditional understanding of things a little bit. Specifically tonight, degrees of punishment and reward when Jesus comes again. And if that's a new concept to you, I hope to show you right from the scripture some of the things Jesus says. I can't explain all of it to you, but you have to take his words seriously. Luke 12, 35 to 48, especially tonight, get a Bible and look at some of the things, the challenging things that Jesus says here. Luke 12, 35, Jesus is the speaker. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself, listen to this, he will dress himself for service, have them recline at table, he will come and serve them. The master's going to serve them. That's not the way we think of it. 38. If he comes in the second watch or in the third, that's three o'clock in the morning, by the way, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, so now the parable changes entirely. Right, right in mid-telling, the parable changes. If the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Now he applies this, 40. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. 41, Peter hears this. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Is, is this for everybody? Is this just for us? Because he's having a hard time sorting out what Jesus is saying. 42, and the Lord said, and here's another part of the parable, and it changes again. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. And now you get the negative side of things, 45. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in his coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. 
The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, like the thief Jesus talked about, and at an hour he does not know, and listen, he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. What is Jesus doing here? 47. Here's a a different kind of servant again who doesn't get it right, but it's a different kind. 47, and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. He's not assigned a place with the unfaithful, like the first one, but a severe beating. Now he's going to talk about a third kind of unreadiness. 48, the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light Beating. So there's just no way you can make Jesus, uh, have Jesus saying the same thing for each servant. It's totally different. One cut in pieces and he goes with the unfaithful. Another one receives a beating and the third one receives a light beating. What? I mean, we're not comfortable with any of that images of beating, but this was a, remember the culture into which Jesus is speaking, where there were masters who beat slaves, that kind of horrible experience. And Jesus picks up on that in this parable. Middle of 48. Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. What a a string of parables. Last Sunday night, what we did is we looked at, at the three ways to be ready for the second coming. On the positive side, dressed and ready for action, lamps burning and bright light of witness and testimony, patient in discouragement, even in the wee hours of the morning, still ready, waiting, in season, out of season. So three ways of being ready for the master's coming. And unbelievably, in verse 37 and 38, when the master comes and finds people ready, he will serve them. Like Jesus washing the disciples' feet. I can't imagine what that's going to be. I don't know. We're not told. But the passage has this other side to it. That's what we're looking at tonight. The, the, it's kind of a biting side to these parables. He has something else to say about readiness for his second coming. Just as surely as there are three ways to be ready, there's this tone of wrath and judgment, three ways to miss being ready, three ways not to be ready when the master comes back. The the thing is, most of us have been raised uh, to think of being ready as sort of being saved or unsaved. And that's certainly true, saved or lost when Jesus comes again. No one's going to be ready to meet Jesus who isn't a recipient of redemption through faith in his shed blood on the cross, his resurrection. That's basic. But but that's not what's being dealt with in this parable. While not untrue, that's an incomplete view of readiness, just getting saved. It's not untrue, it's very true, but it's not complete. And so Jesus, in this parable, he's going to talk about three kinds of unreadiness, and they're not the same. Three kinds of unreadiness and three different punishments. 
Look at it with me. It's specifically in 43 to 48. And I wanted you to see it because, boy, don't take my word for this. It has to be rooted in God's word. 1243. Blessed is that servant who his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Now, from 45 on, it's all unreadiness and negative and wrath and judgment from 45 to the end. If that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. There's unready servant number one. 47, and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. That's unready servant number two. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. That's unready servant number three. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So in contrast to the faithful servant who gets praised in uh, 42, 43, 44, Jesus specifically mentions now three servants who fail the test of being ready. Now, while all of them fail the test of readiness, they're not all punished alike. And we need to study their situations carefully because I think we can learn a lot here if we do a little bit of work. So point number one. One slave did things specifically against the will of the master. I get that in 45 and 46. If that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. I mean, those are just brutal words. And no wonder, no wonder, this is what makes Peter say, 41, are you telling this parable to us? Like, really, can we end up like this? Jesus, is that what you're saying? Does everyone need to hear this warning about the thief breaking into their house when they aren't expecting him? Is that something we disciples need to take as well as the masses? That's what's on Peter's mind. And without directly answering the question, Jesus' next parable addresses the issue very clearly. He says, everyone needs to be careful about faithfulness while waiting for Jesus' return because not everyone who professes readiness, not everyone who professes readiness is really prepared to meet Jesus. So this first servant, he's under the employment of his master. He probably told the master that he would faithfully execute the master's will while the master was away. That's the talk, okay? But for all that profession, this guy ends up assigned a place with the unfaithful, 1246. He professes faithfulness. He's a servant of the master, so he says. 
but he doesn't end up with the faithful. He ends up with the unfaithful. And, and here's another tricky part of this parable. Not all, there's three unfaithful servants here. Not all of them end up in the place of the unfaithful. Just the first one. They didn't all receive the same total rejection that the first one experienced. Only this one. Only servant number one, the unfaithful servant number one. Only he gets this drastic treatment. Cut up in pieces, assigned a place with the unfaithful. Why? Why just this first servant? Well, because he was, he was committed to wickedness while he was supposed to be serving the master. Notice that word that I used. He was committed to wickedness. That's the important part. He just, he was getting drunk. He was beating the male servants, beating the female servants, and he didn't stop. Soon as the master was gone, soon as he was out of sight, this guy is committed to wicked activity. And here's the lesson with unfaithful servant number one, the one who ends up assigned a place with the unfaithful. Nothing angers Father God, and nothing reserves the soul for judgment, regardless of what I profess. Nothing angers God more than abiding in activities forbidden by the master. So here's this first servant. He sins against knowledge. He sins against light. He's persistent. He's stubborn in this sin. I don't know. I, I, I just think this is Jesus. This is Jesus speaking in the presence of his disciples. So apparently there's something here I need to hear. We need to hear. Maybe, maybe I can simultaneously sit in church and worship and pray and carry my Bible and, and commit myself, commit myself to activities that I know are displeasing to the Lord. That's the worst thing you can do. That's why this guy ends up not with the faithful at all. He's assigned a place with the unfaithful. His talk didn't change a thing. He's committed. He's committed to doing things that the Lord forbids. I can justify improper relationships with the opposite sex. I can sit in a church service with a woman who's not my wife and try and worship Jesus. You can do stuff like that. I can feed attractions to the same sex. I can justify dishonesty. I can justify corruption. I can justify hatred and temper and ill will. I can stay on a church membership list and have my heart filled with materialism and greed and covetousness. But if I continue in that rebellion until Jesus comes back, Nothing of my church and nothing of my talk will save me from being assigned a place with the unfaithful. I mean, that, that is, that's Jesus. Point number two, there's a second slave here now who's punished for not doing the revealed will of his master. It's in verse 47. And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will he will receive a severe beating. Now, that sounds the same, but it's a little different from the first unfaithful servant. This servant isn't cited as 
doing the wicked things the first servant did. His sin is of a different nature. Uh, You have to look carefully. His were sins of omission. He's punished for the things he failed to do. You can see it. Let me just go back. You can see it in that 47th verse. The servant who knew his master's will, but did not do it, did not get ready, did not act. So servant number one, who gets assigned a place with the unfaithful, he's, he's doing things that the master forbids, stubbornly, persistently. This servant is not doing what his master wants him to do. Sins of omission. He's punished for what he failed to do. Do you see the difference? He didn't do the master's will while the master was away. There were things he knew he should do, he was supposed to do, and he just chose not to do them. But think about it. If a servant isn't doing the master's will, what kind of servant is he? Don't we talk about serving the Lord? We're all just serving the Lord. But if you're not doing things for the Lord, that's just empty talk. If I pay someone to do yard work for me on Saturday, am I happy paying him for work just because he didn't steal the silverware? No, he has to do the work, cut the grass. Trim the bushes. Jesus is putting force behind his reminder of the whole point of servanthood. When we say Jesus is Lord, how many times do we say that on a given Sunday? We're saying he's master. We're saying we're servants. A servant isn't worth his salt just because he doesn't do something bad. The master has things for the servant to do. You can tell the Apostle Paul thought a great deal about this. Here's the same subject now from the Apostle Paul. It's in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15. <clears throat> Paul writes, 1 Corinthians three twelve. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. This isn't about conversion. This is about service. 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. Tough words, and a lot of people have questions about them. But at least this much is clear. Only some receive reward. That 14th verse, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Other servants will find their work just worthless. Paul says everything they did will be burned up, They will suffer loss, 15. It's not that they're assigned a place with the unfaithful. He's clear. It's not that they're lost. They'll be saved, verse 15. 
So, so just as we're not all going to be rewarded equally, we're not going to be punished in exactly the same way for our unfaithfulness. Our Lord is absolutely just. He will do exactly the right thing. But those words of teaching from Jesus and Paul, they, they need to be taken seriously by professing Christians, people like us. As I understand it, the fruit of my labor for Jesus <clears throat> is all that I have laid up through my investment in his kingdom while here on earth. And there will come this time of assessment of all that I've done. There will be reward for faithfulness. There will be the smile of approval. Well done, good and faithful servant. But Paul says, none of us, none of that is automatically mine just because I got saved. Well done, good and faithful servant isn't about conversion. It's about service. The things I do for the Lord. So there will be servants of Jesus who, while not assigned like that first unfaithful servant, they're not cut up in pieces and assigned a place with the unfaithful, like their faith was all talk that wasn't real. But there are still some who didn't do the master's will. They, they didn't get stuff done, sins of omission. They knew what Jesus wanted, and they didn't get it done. Paul says they'll suffer loss. They won't be lost, but they'll suffer loss. So do what Jesus is calling you to do. Don't, 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 I shouldn't think just because I'm saved that the rest of my life is on automatic pilot. The rest of my life matters. So, first unfaithful servant beats the male servants, beats the female servants, gets drunk. He just does wicked, wicked, wicked things. And he does them persistently. Jesus says he's going to come back. And it's just pictorial, but it certainly isn't pleasant. That servant will be cut in pieces. And in spite of all his talk, he's going to be assigned the same fate as the unfaithful, not a Christian. Then there's that second servant who knew the master's will, things that he was supposed to be doing, but he just chose not to do them. Sins of omission. He wasn't serving. He wasn't producing anything for the master. Just says there'll be a severe beating. Doesn't say he'll be assigned a place with the unfaithful. It's different a little bit. I, I can't explain all of that difference, but it is different. Now there's a third servant. Point number three. The third servant failed to do what he should have done, but received less punishment because he wasn't sure what the master's will was. I'm not making that up. It's in that 48th verse. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. This is clearly different. Even if I can't explain it, I can read the words. Light beating is not the same as a severe beating and is not the same as being cut up in pieces and assigned a place with the unfaithful. 48, the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, he still did wicked things, but, but he didn't know he will receive a light beating. And then these explanatory words, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. The obvious point of those words linked with this third servant is this, increased 
blessing and increased light bring increased responsibility. So as servants of the Lord, we're supposed to make good use of all that we have received from his hand. To whom much is given, Jesus says, much will be required. So so if you and I want those wonderful words of benediction from our Lord, well done, good and faithful servant, we all have to be both good and faithful. Those aren't synonyms. Those words don't mean the same thing. To be good is to stay clean. To be faithful is to stay productive. I'll tell you why I think a lot of us have a hard time getting a handle on these words. And we do. I mean, there's no question. That's a very involved chunk of teaching from the lips of Jesus. And I'll tell you one a thing that makes them even harder for us to deal with. Most, let's say, North American Christians, we've become pretty rights-oriented in all of life. I mean, we tend to live a little bit like we're entitled to the best of everything. And I think we're living in a day when, even in the church, people have come to think of God as owing us joy and blessing and bliss to uh, basically to everyone but serial killers. Everyone who talks about God and kind of likes Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. And, and then you get like this New Testament news flash that diligence in service is really important when Jesus comes again. It will make a huge difference, not just being saved, but being diligent and faithful and serving the Lord. And so eventually... Peter gets his question answered. Lord, are these strong words for the masses or are they for us too? And the answer, of course, is, oh, they're for you too, Peter. Yes, sir. And they're for Don Horbin. And they're for the whole church. There, there's more to being ready than many Christians think. It isn't just filling out a decision card. I gave my heart to Jesus. That's step one. But it's not the end of the process. I know, don't confuse what I'm saying. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace alone, apart from works, but we are saved for works. And the only proof we value our master and Lord above everything else is that we're still faithfully, actively, sacrificially doing his will. So his coming doesn't catch us sleeping in the middle of the night. And by the way, I take that reference to the middle of the night that he talks about the thief coming. I, I take it to mean, I take it to mean that our Lord expects me to serve him even when it feels inconvenient to me. And, and here's the irony of it. The more faithful, true. The more faithful we are in serving the Lord, the more there is to do. But what you discover when you're serving someone you love is that 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 is where the joy is. That is where the joy is. I want want to live post-conversion, saved, great. I want the rest of my life to be lived in such a way that I really do hear from the Lord, well done, Well done, there's action there, good, good and faithful, clean, good, faithful, B, 
busy servant because that's where the joy is. That's quite a parable. Thanks for staying with us. God bless you, church.